You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We were in a series, Names of Jesus, last week. We talked about uh, the name Jesus and that it means Yeshua is salvation, that God is salvation. Uh, and so we're going to talk about another name today, but I want to first talk about the child um, and not, not baby Jesus, the child, the child from Mandalorian. Um, any Star Wars fans? Any Star Wars fans? Three? Okay. There was more in first service. Y'all need to up your game people. Uh, I, I like Star Wars. Star Wars to me is, 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 it's really cool. But here's what I've realized, especially watching the Mandalorian series. Um, there are people who like science fiction. That's a no-go. That's just, that's make-believe. It's lasers, tasers, whatever you want to call it. Uh, my wife personally, anything that's like unrealistic, that's sci-fi, she's not going to watch it. She'll fall asleep. And then there's some that are like casual, like I like it. Star Wars, it's, it's entertaining. It's interesting. But the transition from here to the deep dive is a very steep cliff. Because there are some of you, and I know you personally, I love you, that this is like, this is a whole nother level. In fact, we were talking between services. There's even questions that you even ask people to figure out how deep the rabbit hole you're in. Um, and this is like, this is my life. No, not my life. But this is like, you get really into it because there's books and there's side, like side series and all Anyways, but what I love, even just watching it from a, kind of middle of the ground, and don't judge me, perspective, is that it, it weaves so much of the other movies and the other stories into it. Like there's so many like Easter eggs, there's so many parts that you see it, you watch it, you're like, oh, that's what's going on. Uh, and, and it's been really fun to watch. My boys are really into Star Wars. Uh, I'm trying to hold them back from going down there, but um, because I love them. No, I'm just playing. Uh, they, they're, they're headed that way a little bit. But uh, my, our hope is this. As we go through the series talking about the names of Jesus, as we're weaving together, because you can't just look at the New Testament, you have to look at the Old Testament as well. As, we, as we're unpacking this, uh, my prayer is that this wouldn't just be you come here for knowledge. My, my prayer is that we would just begin to reveal a, a, a bit of the tip of the iceberg that would fuel in you a greater hunger for God's word that would fuel in you a greater desire to know him personally, um, to, to know his word and to unpack this yourself. And so that's my hope and prayer. There's a lot of content to cover, uh, but our hope and prayer is that this is not exhaustive, but this is just um, to get you started on the right track. And so we're going to read Isaiah 9 as we've been pulling from this for our, for our series. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So many names packed in that. And you're like, how many names are there? There's, there's a lot of names that is used to describe who God is um, and who Jesus is. And the one we're going to uh, look at today is a very common name, you know, the name of Christ. Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. Um, Christ and Messiah are actually the same word. It means the same thing in two different languages. Uh, I'm not going to do a deep dive, but we, we see this uh, in the Hebrew, the original Old Testament language, uh, that Mashiach, that somebody who was anointed with oil was Mashiach. 
is where we get the word Messiah. And then somebody uh, applying oil to somebody, anointing somebody was creo, is where we get the word Christo, which is where we get Christ. So we have, in Hebrew, we have Messiah, and in uh, Greek, we have Christ. They both mean anointed one. It's both describing the practice of applying oil to someone or something as establishing it as anointed, as set apart. Um, what that means is that it's distinguished from the common, distinguished from ordinary. Uh, we see in the Old Testament, we see three types of people who are anointed. We see prophets who are a mouthpiece for God, that God would speak to them through revelation and they would go and deliver a message to God's people. Uh, we see a priest who would stand before the altar, who would make sacrifices, who would, who, would, uh, who would help facilitate the worship of God on behalf of the people, who would be anointed and set in place. And then we see kings who are anointed to lead God's people, his chosen people, his nation. And so we see that, but we also see the, the anointing of stuff, of things, of places, but of, of, of instruments. In fact, in Exodus chapter 30, uh, God instructs Moses to anoint within the, 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 the tent of meetings, the tabernacle, uh, to anoint the, anoint the, the lampstands, the utensils, the, all these different things. And he says, you will consecrate them so that will, they will be most holy and whatever touches them will be holy. Uh, so it's the instruments that are used for worship. It's for the people. But why is this important to know? Um, because this the first point is that understanding the holiness of God is what prevents a casual approach to sin in our lives. Understanding that God is holy is a massive thing. The worship in the Old Testament, the, the rules and regulations, you're like, you start out strong on a yearly reading plan and then you get to Leviticus and that's where all reading plans come to die at times, let's be honest, right? <laughs> Uh, you, you get to there and you're just like, I don't get it. There's so many rules and regulations. The purpose of that, let me just sum it up, was for God's people to understand that God is holy, that God is set apart, that he is unlike anything. He is, he is different. He is, he is distinct. He is separate from everything else. Um, since the fall, since Adam and Eve, there's been two opposing forces. It's the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And, and, the rules and regulations and the worship was to, to help us to understand the consequence of sin, for help us to understand that sin, that sin has a price, a high price. Um, and I think, honestly, if we're, if we're being honest, on this side of the cross, we know the end of the story, we often have a casual approach to sin. And, and just because that those that have put their faith in the finished work of Jesus, those that have professed with their mouth and confessed that Jesus is Lord, that you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior to pay for your sins, the price that was on him was, was your sins. We, on the other side of the cross, we, we just, it doesn't mean he's less holy. God is still holy. God is still unlike anything else. He is still set apart. He is still different. And the priest had this role of facilitating the sacrifice in the worship. Uh, but there was, it's like if you were to go get surgery, would you want the surgeon to like open up a junk drawer and to pull out like a scalpel or utensils? You know, like you're like immediately that's a lawsuit, right? Um, but you would want them to like do the thing where they open it up out of the sanitized package, right? You would want sterilized stuff because it's, it's, 
you don't just take no ordinary pliers out of your toolbox for surgery. You take different ones that are cleansed, that are set apart, right? They're holy. They're, they're distinct. And this, this operation of the priest, in fact, we actually see that, um, that it, the, the oil and anointing actually had a, also a symbolic meaning of the Spirit of God. The first person we see that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, was on was not in the New Testament. It was actually in the Old Testament. Uh, it was actually a chapter later or in Exodus 31. Uh, there was a man who, who the Spirit of God was upon him, and his, his, he was given skill with all kinds of wood and with all kinds of stone and, and fine metals. And his job was to create and to build the things that were used in the temple for worship. And one of his other responsibilities was to make the anointing oil. So the first person who received the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was the one who was actually responsible for overseeing the making of the anointing oil. The, the, the thing that would establish something and make it set apart and make it different. Um, because the holiness of God, when you read back through the, the even parts of the New Testament, someone encounters the presence of God. Someone encounters an angel of the Lord. Their immediate response is to fall down and think they're going to die. Because they're in the presence of a holy, perfect God, and they are a sinful person. And the two, they're like, this, this, doesn't, this doesn't correlate. This doesn't, it's impossible. And their immediate response is this recognition of, of our sin. So understanding that, that Christ, that Messiah means anointed one, the one that was not just anointed, but the anointed one, the, uh, the chosen one. Uh, and we're going to actually see this in the Christmas narrative. Uh, usually I try to go in order. I'm, I'm breaking the order here. Okay. Usually we're, we like lead up to the birth of Jesus. We're actually going to go after the birth of Jesus. I know I've messed it up for you, but turn with me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter two. Uh, we're going to look at the Magi visiting Jesus after his birth. So if, turn with me there, Matthew chapter two, uh, we're going to start in verse one, because what we're going to see is we're going to see how, uh, every aspect of it is pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, as the anointed one. Not just the hundreds and hundreds of prophecies pointing towards the Messiah. We're going to see the fulfillment of it and the recognition of it in God's word. All right. Um, and I'm going to do this a bit differently. All right. Matthew chapter two, verse one it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, uh, we don't know if there was three. We don't know if there's many. Uh, some kind of traditions talk about kings. Some call them wise men. Some call them magi. Uh, what we believe is that these were probably descendants uh, who were Jewish out of, after the exile, uh, the Babylonian exile, uh, but they had a knowledge of the scriptures. So they, they had a knowledge of, of all of the prophetic words from God pointing towards the coming Messiah, the coming anointed one, the chosen one. And so in Magi, we understand that they probably had a, a great awareness of astrology. Um, and so they would, 
I mean, if you were going to navigate, you need to know where the stars are. You need to know what, what the constellations are. That's how you navigated. That's how you could tell seasons, a lot of things. And so um, there's so many different uh, theories out there, but uh, a great one to look at. I'm not going to cover all of it. Do research on your own. Uh, search the star of Bethlehem. Because astronomers alike, uh, secular and not, um, have, have looked at the, with computers, what's great is we can kind of rewind time and look at what the sky looked like um, at that time. Uh, and they believe it was a, it was a, a triple conjunction of a, a planet and a star and the moon, bright sky. They travel over a thousand miles to get to Jerusalem to see this. So it was something so significant that they're like, hey, we, we need to go see this major event that's happening. Because we know the stars, and this is unlike anything that's ever happened. It must be a significant sign pointing to the fulfillment of prophecy. So they travel down. They go talk to Herod. Um, and that's where we're going to keep going. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Uh, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah, uh, where the Messiah was to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Uh, here's lying, okay? Uh, that's, that's, that's not even, it's, it's, he's flat out lying. He wants to kill Jesus. He's threatened by this idea of another king. He's threatened of this idea where he's not in charge. He sees this, this, this baby, this Messiah, as a threat to his control and his little kingdom that he's created. So he attempts to kill him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another root. Now, um, so I'm going to go ahead and ruin everyone's nativity scene at home. At this point, Jesus uh, was more than likely not an infant or not a baby. Uh, he, was, he was almost two years old at this point. So I know I ruined it. He's not in the manger at home. Um, but so, so they travel over a thousand miles. They come to worship him. Now I've, I've been to baby showers. My wife has had several baby showers. I've yet to see anyone give gold, frankincense, or myrrh. You're like, that's a weird gift, right? Giving them some essential oils, like what's going on here? Uh, those are, there's significance in the gifts. I know my wife, uh, when uh, she was pregnant with our first kid, um, one of my in-laws, their, their friend, their neighbor at the time, um, made, handmade a blanket uh, for our son, like spent weeks crocheting or cross-stitching, I don't remember, uh, but it was like a collage of like antique baby dolls, like faces. It was weird. <laughs> I, I, I felt so bad because you're like, wow, this is, hmm, that's, 
That's a blanket, isn't it? Uh, but I was like, if we hang this on the wall, my kids can have nightmares. Cause it was like, it was like not accurate, but there were like already baby dolls. It was just faces of kids. And I'm like, if the eyes follow me when I walk, that's, but it was one of these things that I was just like, we, we, we had to politely decline. But what do, you, what do you give a gift? Now, here's another ruining. I love this song, but I don't see a kid with a snare drum. Little drummer boy, right? Who wrote that was not a parent. Because what parent wants their kid, one, to have a drum in the house, and two, to like, nothing says, let me celebrate the birth of a kid like a drum solo, okay? Um, so I, I love the song, but I, I don't see it. But so why, why these gifts? Why the gold? Why the frankincense? Why the myrrh? Um, each of them have a very significant um, pointing of why Jesus is the anointed, why the Messiah. The first one is that Jesus is our high priest. Um, now we had priests, but we had the high priest in the Old Testament. Um, on the day of atonement, once a year, the, the high priest would go into the, the inner part of the temple, the Holy of Holies, where he was only allowed one day a year. The day of atonement, they would sacrifice uh, a spotless lamb and they would sprinkle blood on the altar as, as atonement, as, as payment for the sins of God's people. Uh, they would also take a, a second animal, they would take a, a, a goat and they would, uh, they would anoint it and they would put the, the symbolically putting the, the sins of, uh, of the people on this and would drive the goat out of the community, sometimes off of a cliff. It's where we get the term scapegoat. The sins were placed on it in, in, in substitution and in place for the sins of people. Um, because God is just, and we want God to be just, right? Because what, what, what fires us up is when we see injustice in the world. We see the senseless loss of life. We see suffering. We see abuse. That wells up within us because we're made in the image of God and we serve a just God. Now, he is just, and so sin has to be atoned for. Sin has to be paid for, but we also serve a God who is full of mercy, and so in, in Jesus, we, we see that God is, is just, but he's also merciful. And the good news is we are not under the old covenant anymore. We have the new covenant of grace. That those that profess, it's not a, it's not a belief. It's not just an idea. It's a confession that, that you've accepted Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, about what he did on the cross for you was permanent, was, was in place for you. And when we confess that, we would believe that, that our, our sins are atoned for, that he is our great high priest. And I love this. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, often the same sacrifice again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those that are being made holy. Frankincense was used in the temple as, as they would burn it as, as um, an act of worship. It would represent the prayers of God's people that a high priest would stand in the gap and would intercede uh, for people to God. 
He would make sacrifice and intercede. And we're saying that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that, that Jesus is our high priest who interceded for you and I. The second truth we see is that Jesus is our conquering king. Jesus is our conquering king. Gold represents, uh, is, a, is a gift for royalty. Uh, many also believe that um, as Herod was trying to kill all of the infants in Bethlehem, that gold provided Joseph and Mary the funds to be able to flee to Egypt and to live to escape um, Herod trying to kill them. So gold represented that, that Jesus is our king. We see the anointing of priests. We see the anointing of kings. First king was Saul that was anointed. And shortly after that, God removed him from being king and replaced him with David, a man after God's own heart. That it was responsibility, that it was this, everyone thought that the Messiah was going to come in power with a massive army, but God didn't come uh, in, the, in the form of a mighty warrior. He came in the form of a baby a conquering king, a king to establish his rule, his reign, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that cannot be overturned. And then also that Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. Uh, myrrh, which is another, um, it's a resin from a tree. Myrrh was used in, in, when you look at the, the recipe in Exodus, the recipe for making the anointing oil, one of the first ingredients is liquid myrrh. It was an ingredient that was used in the oil to anoint, but myrrh also had another purpose. Myrrh was often used in the preparation of the dead for burial. You're like, that's a really weird gift to give a baby, right? When you think about it, like that's kind of I mean, it had other, other properties to it, but that was a major part of it. It was an aromatic resin that was used to, in, in the embalming and the preparation of the dead. Every single step of Jesus, every single word spoken was intentional. Every gift given, everything done. From the beginning of creation, from the fall of Adam and Eve, pointing towards the coming Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would, who would come and make right the sins of humanity. It's pointing towards this conquering king, our, our great high priest who intercedes, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father into the sacrificial lamb. That he's just, but he's merciful. And even from the moment of his birth, it was with intention of being the sacrifice for our sins, for yours, for mine. And then just as the scapegoat was led out of the city, um, Jesus was led out of the city to a hill called Calvary, where he was sacrificed. What do we do with this? Let me actually read the point first and then we'll do the verse. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. Is that his identity has given us an identity to live out. What, what, do, we, what do we do with this information? It's great. We, we understand that he's anointed, that, that, that there's so many prophetic writings before he was born, hundreds and hundreds of years pointing towards Jesus being the Messiah, the Christ, the, the anointed one. But what, what is that like? Right now, today, as you leave here today, what, is, what, is, what does that mean? How do we take that information and how does it become something we live out? First Peter 2.9 says, but you, this is you and I, are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's saying that as, as followers of Jesus, that we are a chosen people, that we are a, a royal priesthood. The, the word Christian, we call ourselves Christian. Christian means anointed ones. Meaning that you and I have work to do. We have a responsibility. For me, this week, this past couple weeks, but especially this week, has been just, it was one of those weeks, you know, like up, down, up, down, up, down. Like, um, we've been dealing with like a lot of sickness in our house. Um, a couple weeks, Ashley's been had like weird abdominal pain, had a bunch of lab work done and ultrasounds and MRIs and still don't know what's going on. There's like water on her kidney. And, um, and I, I, I go out of town to, uh, to do sermon planning for the year. And in the midst of that, she's feeling really bad. She gets a call. Our one kid hurt himself at school. He's in the nurse's office, which sometimes happens. But she goes to the nurse's office. He's like in a wheelchair. She's like, oh. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, she gets home. The other kid texts that he's been having migraines and all this like mono stuff happening. He's throwing up in the bathroom. So she picks up both kids from school. I take my middle, my middle child to the, the doctor the next day to get x-rayed. And as a dad, you're like, come on, suck it up. You know, a little bit. And I'm like, you got to put some weight. He's doing the hopping thing. I'm like, you got to put a little bit of weight on your leg, thinking it's going to be fine. X-ray showed he fractured his kneecap. And instantly I was like, sorry, my bad. I have a really bad track record with this, by the way. But it was just, it was one of those weeks. It just like one thing after the other. And there's just been a lot of stuff going on. And so some of the pastors on staff and, and our friends, the staff members, they, they've been burdened for a little while. And they, they came to our house this week. And they prayed over us and anointed us with oil. And anointed our home with oil. And how fitting that I had already picked out Messiah in Christ that the anointed one to talk about this week. My son was a little bit, he's like, why are they coming at me with oil? What's going on? As I'll explain later. But just praying protection over us and praying God's peace and protection over our home in the midst of it. God has entrusted you and I as a royal priesthood to stand in the gap for people. You have neighbors and co-workers, listen, that will never have anyone pray for them their entire lives unless you do. Never. Never have anyone intercede before the Father on their behalf other than yours. God has entrusted us with the responsibility to be bearers of his kingdom, bearers of his light, that we're called to set, be, be set apart, not in a holier-than-thou way, but as a we don't live like everyone else because we are not like everyone else, because we were once dead, but now we are alive in Christ. 
And because everything has changed, we realize the weight and responsibility that he's anointed me, he's chosen me to intercede for people, to pray for people, to encourage people, to point them to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the hope of glory. And it's not because you gotta have everything figured out. This is not like a, hey, pull up your bootstraps and, and just and do better. No, no, no. It's, it's this idea of don't pull up your bootstraps, but lift your eyes up onto the one who is sovereign, onto the one who is holy, so holy that the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy. There is none like him. So we're going to end with a posture of worship today, but I wanna pray for us before we do that. We bow your heads? Father, we, we trust you. You have the name above all names. You are holy, you are set apart. You are worthy of all praise and adoration. I pray for every discouraged heart this morning. It feels like they never have enough. That everyone else has their life together, but you feel like a mess. May I encourage you to lift your eyes to the maker of the heavens of the earth who in Genesis 1 spoke, and in the chaos he created light and created order. And the same God who is ordaining order and, and rebuking chaos in your life today. I pray for every weary heart, through sadness or through isolation, or through just circumstances. I pray to be reminded that you are our comforter, you are our healer. That you weep with those who weep. You mourn with those who mourn. Not with those who act like they have it together. I pray for every heart that feels calloused. May we be reminded of your attention to the details in our life. May we be reminded that you are the finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. That if there's air in our lungs, that you're not done with us. So God, I pray for a shifting of our eyes and our mind onto who you are, not what we face, not what we see, but God, may we behold you and see you as the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the object and the person of our worship. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.